0: in a way that would be glorifying to him and edifying to you, God's people and God's church here this morning. I have a desire this morning to turn to the 8th chapter of Hebrews. Some things I'd like to uh, speak on there. Well, will you can hold your place there in the 8th chapter of, of Hebrews. That's where we're going to for we're going to remain for some time but first of all before that uh, the apostle Paul is is quoting something here in the 8th chapter of Hebrews that um we we read in Jeremiah so if you'll turn with me just for a moment to Jeremiah 31 and 31 Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 and we'll go just read a few verses here and he says <clears throat> In verse 31, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant That I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and write them in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, No, the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so we clearly sounds very familiar with what the Apostle Paul has written in the 8th chapter of Hebrews. And we also find very much the same. It's three different places there in Jeremiah and another place found here in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. He says in the 15th verse, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, then, this is very important in the 18th verse, uh, he says, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Where the remission of these is, where the remission of sin is, he's saying there is therefore now no more offering. So what we're looking at and what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in the 8th chapter of, of Hebrews is this second covenant. He talks about covenants here, agreements, if you will. Now, if you had to, if, if I had to, uh, describe the book of Hebrews in one word, that would not be a hard thing for me to do. The word would be better. Because in the book of Hebrews, it talks about a better sacrifice than what they sacrificed under the Old Testament. It talks about, it talks about better promises. It talks about all things that are better—a better law, a better covenant, better promises, a better sacrifice, a better revelation of that promise that we have received. Everything about Hebrews, especially the first, uh, well, the the first ten chapters—you might as well go all the way through with it—is uh, talking about things that are better. And so, when we see this, the Apostle Paul is bringing out something here, and he says. Uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, Hebrews chapter eight. Let me see. I want to start in verse six. We'll just start there. But now he hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Now let's keep in mind here that um, this new covenant, uh this new testament, if you will, or this new covenant was not just uh was not plan B, okay, in case plan A didn't work. That's that's not what he's saying there. There was fault with that first covenant, but the fault was not with the covenant. The fault was with man. He goes on to say, uh, But now he hath obtained, uh, for that first covenant, the seventh verse, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, for finding fault with them. You notice who the fault is with. It's not the law. It's with them. They could not keep the law. This was not a surprise to God. God knows all things. In fact, this New Testament that we're talking about, or that the Apostle Paul is talking about here, is a testament that has been in place from before the foundation of the world. It's not new as far as a new uh, an agreement, a new agreement, or something like that. It's called the New Testament because it's new in revelation to us. It is revealed to us, and we call that the New Testament. Whereas the Old Testament, they had those things that they worshipped under the Old Testament. Now, the revelation of Jesus Christ is made clear in the New Testament. But there was fault in the Old Testament. You remember the Apostle Paul said in the 8th chapter of Romans, There, there, there is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the, from the, uh, law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, listen to what he says in this third verse, for what the law could not do in that he was weak in the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So we, there was a weakness in the law. And it wasn't the law itself, but it was man. He was the, he was the weak, the weakness. He was the one to be at fault. Because man could not keep the law. Man cannot keep the law. It is impossible for sinners to to maintain a completely righteous law that God had written. Completely righteous. It shows what righteousness is. It shows what perfection is. And when we look at the law... We are not to use the law as as a, as a as a measure to measure our goodness, but it is a measure to, for us to see how far short that we are in keeping the law. They couldn't keep the law. Listen to what he says as we go on. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day when i took them by the hand to lead them out of uh, out of the land of egypt listen to this because they continued not in my covenant and i regarded them not i regarded them not why does he say i regarded them not because they continued not in god's covenant time and time again we see that god would go into uh, into covenant uh, with Israel. And say, well, if you do... You know, that's what a that's what a covenant is. A covenant is a, a contract based on conditions. If you do this, I'll do that. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. There's a covenant there. There's a promise that God had entered into with the children of Israel. And we see time and time again that Israel breaks their covenant with God. And God chastens them many times Throughout the Old Testament, so we see there um, that it, th- this covenant is much better, and that's what I—that's what I want to get into. I want you to see that they could not meet the terms and the conditions of the covenant. Okay, of this I'm talking about the Old Testament of them trying to keep the law, of them uh, trying to uh, do what God would have them to do to be blessed, and they—they they would oftentimes, many times, that they would—they would break that. Um, So there are terms and conditions in in a covenant. And there were terms and conditions for them. Well, this is not necessarily an unconditional covenant. We call it that. But there were conditions to this New Testament covenant that we're talking about. This New Testament condition, the terms and the conditions of this contract, of this covenant, is not laid on us. It's laid on Jesus Christ. He met the law, he paid the law, or he, uh, he fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle, and he kept that. And so that, how much better a testament is that, that the terms and conditions have been met in, in the person of Jesus Christ? And it's not left up to us, as the world would suggest. It is not left up to mortal man to try to do something in order to obtain eternal salvation. We have eternal salvation through the terms and conditions of what Jesus Christ has done. Bar none, salvation is Jesus plus nothing. It is all Jesus. It's it's nothing else. It's not your works. It's not your deeds. It's, It's not your baptism. We're not under the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. We have been given a freedom. We have been given a liberty under the New Testament to clearly see that salvation is all of the Lord. That Jesus Christ has... Done it all. And we're not fearful in that like they were uh, under the Old Testament and they couldn't even approach Mount Sinai, could they? For fear if they even touched the mountain uh, that they would be durst through with a dart. That they would die, in other words. If a beast so much as touched the mountain, that beast would even die. They were scared. They trembled uh, knowing that God was there. But we've not come as uh, the Apostle Paul tells us. uh, We've not come... uh, to Mount uh, to Sinai he says it right here uh, but we are come uh, it's in the 12th chapter of Romans we, we've not come to Mount Sinai but we have let me go grab that and um, no I'm sorry I'm sorry It's the twelfth chapter of Hebrews. Uh, It says here, in the eighteenth verse, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, and which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, they couldn't endure that. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's the law. That's under the Old Testament. But where has the child of God come to today? We're not there under that Old Testament law. We're not there trying to ascribe righteousness, which is a perversion of the law. And that's what so many times the Jews tried to do, was to ascribe righteousness by the law, and that was perverting the law. That was not the intended purpose or use of the law. But what does he say? But you are come unto Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, "...and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn." And that church of the firstborn, dear child of God, is talking about all the elect of God. It's not just talking about the church uh, here militant. It's talking about the church triumphant. That's where we have come to, if, if whether we know it or not. Now some people, you know, even though they've come to Zion, you know where they're still at? In their mind, in their heart? They're still over here at Mount Sinai. Well, you got to do this if you want to be a child of God. And you got to maintain that. And and God, at the end of the day, uh, is going to bring out this big, long scroll. And He's going, to, He's going to weigh out your good from your bad. And I want to tell you, I would exceedingly fear and quake if I was under that law. But that's not the law that we're under, dear children of God. He says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, so we see here uh, where we've come to. And that this covenant that we have is a one-sided covenant. It's a one-sided covenant. Now, when two people enter into a covenant, there's an agreement, right? You go to buy a car, and there's a covenant There's a contract, if you will. There is an agreement that you must sign for. It is an agreement between you and, and the, and the car salesman or whoever. Uh, that's, that, so it takes two people to enter into this contract, right? But here we see that God entered into a contract that was one-sided. We are the beneficiaries of that covenant, of this great, wonderful New Testament, but we in no wise have anything to do to uphold our part of it. That's what the revelation of this is. It's just like Noah. You know, we could go and read about Noah and the Lord entered into a covenant with Noah. You know what that covenant was? That he would not flood the earth anymore. Did he say, Noah, this is what you're gonna to have to do if you don't want me to flood the, flood the face of the earth anymore? No. There was no conditions for Noah, but yet it's talked about as being a covenant between God and Noah. That was a one-sided covenant. If that would have been a two-sided covenant and man would have had to hold up his part of that covenant, this world would have been flooded over a thousand times since Noah. That covenant is based on God, in God alone. When we go over to Genesis 15, we see a a beautiful Picture of this one sided covenant, uh, when we see, uh, Abraham and God here and this, uh, Chaldean way of, of making a covenant, you know, then that's where, uh, that's where, that's where Abraham came from, or the Chaldees. Listen to what he says. Now, I want you to, I want you to understand that, understand this. Now, the Lord had just told him here, in the 5th verse of the 15th chapter, he said he brought him forth abroad. And Abraham brought Abraham forth abroad. It said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Now when he says tell the stars, he's talking about count the stars. Like a teller at the bank counts money. Tell the stars. You, you count the stars. He says, if thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. Uh, so he's telling Abraham, I'm bringing you out from the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land which you shall inherit. You and all your posterity after that. Those uh, the family of Abraham. And he said... This is Abraham talking in the 8th verse. Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Okay, things to to go into a contract here. But I want you to see that this contract is one-sided. But it shows Abraham the promises of God. He goes on to say, And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle-dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and played and. Laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided not. So what happened? This is a Chaldean way of entering into a covenant. Is you get these animals and you cut them in half. You cut the animals in half and you lay this animal, that part of this animal here, and the other part of this animal over here. Okay, so you got two rows of these. Parted animals, and the child, and what you would do to enter into a contract is the two people. Remember, two people to go into a contract. The two people that were entering into the contract would walk together between those pieces, those carcasses, those animals that were torn in half. They would walk between that, and what that signified is, if I break this covenant, let this be me. All right. That's what that is what the signification is with those animals is is if if I break this covenant let let my body be as these bodies right here and be divided. Okay? So it was a very important thing covenants were very sacred and very uh very important back then. So Abraham gets these, okay? And you think that Abraham and God are fixing to go down through the pieces of these animals entering into a covenant. But let's see what happens. He says, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And it goes on to say here, and now, and, uh, and he says, uh, let me go down to the 17th verse. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. While Abraham was still in a dark sleep, we see this coming down between the pieces of the animal. Showing forth that God is keeping His covenant with Abraham. They entered into a covenant there, but Abraham didn't have anything to do. He had no part to take in the inheritance of this land other than just to believe what God had already told him. He goes on to say, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. See there in the uh, in the 18th verse? In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, but Abraham had no part of that covenant as far as keeping it. Now, he was the beneficiary of it. He was going to inherit the land, but it was not going to be by any covenantal work or deed that Abraham would have to do and it's so important that we see that when we come into the new testament that it is God that has entered into a covenant with himself. We are as Abraham was are the beneficiaries of this covenant But all we have to do is believe God's Word, that He did the work full and complete on Calvary's cross. He entered into that covenant, the three-in-one Godhead. They entered into the covenant, and we are recipients of that covenant. And that covenant is now revealed to us as a new covenant, or as a New Testament. So we have the blessings of this when we see that. Uh, It says that they broke... God's covenant. Listen to what He says here in the ninth verse: "Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of uh, lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in My covenant, and I regarded them not," saith the Lord. We'll get to that regarded again uh, a little while. I think I left my thought on that one, uh, but we'll get we'll get back to that one. But we see here that in this covenant. Uh, this law is written in our hearts. It is not written on tables of stone. Now, children of God, and I used to have a problem with this, children of God in the Old Testament were born of the Spirit in the same way. Okay? But they did not refer to the Spirit. They did not, they did not regard the operating of the Spirit of God within their heart, they, they relied on the basic knowledge of the law, on the physical knowledge of the law, on the Ten Commandments, on being circumcised, on these things right there. You see, that's where they were looking at. That's what they were focused on. It doesn't mean that they didn't have God in their heart. Certainly they did. We can go in many places when, when, uh, uh, when Jonah was going over to Nineveh, this, uh, uh, this pagan place, you remember what Jonas told them? Uh, you know, people say that Jonas, talk about Jonah's preaching. Jonas didn't preach to them. Jonas just said in 40 days this place is going to be destroyed. That's not very much of a preaching to me. Just, you know, get, get ready. You know, they didn't, there's a lot of history there between the Jews and the Ninevites, but, but they weren't great friends. And, and anyhow, you remember what happened? It said, from the greatest down to the least. We're talking about Ninevites. We're not talking about Jews. It said, the great, from the greatest down to the least, all came out and fell down in sackcloth and ashes and prayed to God. They didn't have the law, they didn't have the written law on tables of stone like the Jews did, but they had the law in their heart. But, so, but they did not depend upon that, the Jews did not depend upon that, and that's why it's important to see their law was on tables of stone, was a written law. That's what they were following, all right? Now it's written, and it was then, but now the revelation is written in our hearts and in our minds. He says that. And that we can follow, right? There's You can walk away from those tables of stone. But you can't walk away when it's written in your heart. You you can walk as far, you can run as far as you want to, but it's going to be right there with you. Convicting you. Uh, encouraging you, strengthening you, whatever it is, the, the the spirit of God's going to be there for you in that capacity and doing those things. And we have, we have that um, uh, evidence in our hearts. He says, uh, "I said you can't walk away." Listen to what he says over in that's in the second chapter of Romans, in the fourteenth verse. It says, for when the Gentiles, which had not the law, okay, they didn't have the law. Now, the law was in their hearts, and that's what he's fixing to tell us. But when he says they didn't have the law, it means they didn't have that written law that the Jews relied on so much. For when the Gentiles, which had not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, but by nature they were doing those things that were contained in the written law, he said, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Okay, you got to understand what law he's talking about, or you're going to get confused. They, they don't have the written law, but they got the law written in their hearts. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Let me read that again. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. It's in their mind and it's in their heart. And it is evidenced by their convictions of when they do wrong and their and 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 their blessings of when they do right that they are already born by the Spirit of God, that the law has already been written. <coughs> In their hearts and in their mind. We see here four results. When he goes on down through here, uh, further in this 10th chapter, fourth, uh, in the 8th verse, 8th uh, chapter, 10th verse, he said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. In other words, uh, he uh he's not going to he's not going to regard them not. And in a greater revelation, he's always been God. And God has always had his people. But it is further revealed to us in the New Testament that God is our God and we are his people. The evidence is clear in our experience and the evidence is clear in God's word in the new testament when we read the new testament another example of job in the old testament i just thought of this one job in the old testament in the 19th chapter did he have the lord did he have a knowledge of God in his heart listen to what he said oh that i could oh that i could write this down on paper that i could that i could uh, that i could grave it with an iron pen and let it in the rock forever what was this he says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. Now how did you know that, Job? Job knew that because the law was written in his heart and in his mind. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon this earth. <laughs> and though my skinworms destroy this flesh, yet I shall see him for myself and not another. You see, we see evidences of that all through the Old Testament, but in general, the Jews were following the law, the written law. We're not following that now. We're following what the law that's written in our heart. We're following the law that's written in our mind that convicts us, that tells us. That is the greatest evidence you can have on whether one is a, on whether you're a child of God or not. If you have that evidence, if you have that love of God in your heart, if you have that desire to worship the Lord, if you have a desire to pray to God, if you have a conviction in your heart when you do wrong, if you ever have a desire to repent and do right, if you ever feel like you've said or done the wrong thing and feel regretful for it, or you've ever done things and you felt like you've pleased God, you've done all of these things because He has already written His law into your hearts and in your mind you're not doing those things to get the law it's an evidence those things are an evidence that God is already there I've said it many times that when one comes down to a a man made altar to accept God in his heart why is that person coming down because they feel remorseful they feel their sins. They see their sins. They, they want to, they want to accept Jesus Christ and, and gain this forgiveness of sin. But praise be to God. If you have those convictions, this chapter right here says, we have already been forgiven of our sins. And all we have to do is worship and praise God and thank Him for what He has done. I can't think of a better gospel. Can you? I can't speak. I can't think of a better gospel. Uh, that gives me the rest at night and gives me the encouragement during the day to know that the work has been done. It's done fully complete. He says, for they should not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. See, they used to have to go around teaching it on tables of stone or, or parchment paper. They should not go around. You're not going to have to go around and teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother. Not like you were doing under the Old Testament. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This is a new covenant. A new covenant of promises. A new covenant of the indwelling Spirit of God in us and a greater revelation of that. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So we see four results that this covenant that we're talking about here, uh, the four results that this covenant uh, describes. Uh, first of all, he says, I'm going to write it in their hearts and their mind. God has wrote it in our hearts and in our mind. We have a desire to do the will of God because God is already in our heart. If God is not in your heart... You can preach to somebody that 's a dead alien sinner that doesn't have the spirit of God in their heart. You can preach to them until the cows come home and it will affect them zero it 'll have no spiritual effect it won't have any spiritual effect on them because they don't have the spiritual they don't have the spirit of God within them. You must have that spirit of God there must be uh, that that uh, receiver in our hearts to be able to receive the transmitted word of grace, and then when we see that, and we have the evidence of that, like the apostle Paul did when he was uh, when he was writing to the Thessalonians, knowing brethren beloved, your election of God. He knew that they were the elect of God because our word came not unto you uh, because our, our, our did come unto you in word only but in power and in demonstration of the Holy Ghost. He knew that he was preaching to the elect of God because of their countenance that they had. That was all the evidence that the Apostle Paul needed. So we see also that it, uh, the, the, the second re- uh, result of this covenant describes, he says, I will be their God. They shall be My people. I will be their God. In in Revelation we see that He is our God. And that we, by the grace of God, are His people. Behold what manner and love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. That's a manner of love we'll never understand. That we should be called the sons of God. He is our God and we are His people. And praise be to God for that. We. It is not through circumcision. It is not through those things that the Jews tried to do in order to be His people. We're not. That's not the law that we're under. It's, if it's in your heart and if it's in your mind, you are His people and He is your God. End of the story, and that's that's as clear as that one gets. The third, the uh, third result, and they shall all know me. That I will be their God. And the third one, I, I mentioned both of them there, in the second, and the third. The third one is, and they shall all know me. They shall all know me. And then the fourth one is, I will remember their sins no more. God that is all knowing, God that knows everything. Yet he says, I will remember their sins no more. Now, does that mean that intellectually there is no remembrance of our sins? No. It means he does not lay that to our charge. We are guiltless in the eyes of God. He says, I'm not going to remember. I'm not. In other words, you know, I'm not going to keep holding it up against you. I'm not going to say, well, I'll forgive you this time, but, but I'm not, you know, you heard people say, well, I forgive, but I'm not forgetting. Well, God says I forgive and forget. I'm laying them, I, I put your sins behind you, behind as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west. And he will not bring them up at judgment time. That scroll, is going to be blank. It's going to be empty. If there's anything written on that scroll, it's going to be Jesus paid it all. <laughs> Jesus paid it all. Come ye blessed to my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. What a wonderful covenant that we have here. What a wonderful understanding that we have of this, of this uh, covenant. He says here, in the 11th verse, I want to look at two words. Well, really, it is two different words. And they shall, I want to look at the word no. The word no, it's found twice here, but in the Greek, it's, it's two different words. He says, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. That no right there is gnosko, the Greek word for gnosko. Um, and it is a, it is a acquired knowledge, uh, from, oftentimes from personal experience. It's an acquired knowledge. We, we learn things from personal experience. Listen to what he says. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord in a, in, in an acquired sense, like they used to under the Old Testament way of worship. But he goes on to say, For all shall know me. That know is I do. I do in, in Greek. And that word idu there is talking about an intuitive mental perception. So they're not going to have to know me uh, as far as uh, acquiring, for they will all know me intuitively. You understand what I'm saying? So he goes on to say, and let's read that again with that knowledge. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for or because all shall know me from the least to the greatest. They're all going to know. We all know him through the new birth. We don't have to go around and teaching one another like they were doing under the Old Testament. And what a wonderful thing that is. That is that, that inquired knowledge is, is an intuitive uh, innate knowledge that we receive through the direct uh, operation of the Spirit of God in our hearts, just like a baby. When a baby's been in the mother's womb for nine months, and that, and as soon as that baby's born, what a traumatic time for that baby, bring out into this environment being. Held up by his or her ankles and smacked on the behind. And I mean, it's got to be very troubling for all of us. There's probably reasons why we all got a little bit of mental problem with having to start life that way. But then that baby is cleaned up and it's laid gently in the mother's arms on the mother's breast. It's laid and that baby intuitively, not acquired, but that baby intuitively knows that. He or she is now resting in her mother's bosom, in her, on her, in her mother's arms. That baby senses that intuitively. The same way the Spirit of God works in us intuitively. When we're born again by the Spirit of God, we have an understanding of God. And first, First Corinthians chapter two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It starts here. We'll start in the ninth verse of that second chapter of 1 Corinthians. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Has not entered. But God hath Revealed them unto us how by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So how are they revealed to us? They're revealed to us by the Spirit of God in the new birth. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. But the Spirit, but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. This is an intuitive knowledge that we have by the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Here's some, listen to this. For what man knoweth the things of man save the Spirit of man which is in him? What things, what things does a man know for what man knoweth the things of a man? I know how you think in a lot of different ways, and you know how I think in a lot of different ways, because in our flesh, and our fleshly nature, it's intuitive. We we, we have the same, same type of thinking, the same type of thoughts. He said, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Okay? Now he just now he brings it over and says so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. How do you know anything about God? It's because of the Spirit of God that is dwelling in you intuitively. You have a you have a, a belief, a perception of God in your heart and in your mind. And that comes from the Spirit of God and that's intuitive. Nobody has to teach you that. Nobody has to teach you to love God. Nobody has to teach you about who God is. It's already written in our hearts to love God, that we love God. It's written in our hearts that there is a God. We don't have to be taught that. Now there's further teaching that we have to have. We don't just stop right there. we got to continue on learning. Uh, this 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 knowledge and 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 what the Lord is you know through the gospel we learn more and more but it's not intuitive anymore. This knowledge that we're talking about here is talking about that uh, acquired this acquired knowledge. We get a greater uh, understanding through an acquired knowledge, but that acquired knowledge does not change intuitively what we have by the Spirit of God in our hearts. What we hear, is as far as the knowledge of the word, oftentimes has, uh, uh, you know, finds a lodging place. Is it, we are comforted by the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because of the Spirit of God that is already within us. So he goes on to say, "Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God." Which things we also, which things we also speak, and we're talking about speaking those things which are already in our heart intuitively by the Spirit of God. He goes, which things we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither indeed can He know them. They're foolishness unto them, and, he, and, and he, he can't know them anyhow. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. The only way, dear child of God, that you can discern the things of the Spirit of God is because the Spirit of God is already in you. Because you have that Spirit of God there. And you can discern the things of God. You could not discern the things of God without the Spirit of God within you. It's nothing but foolishness unto you. And you're unable to to understand or even have a feeling about the spiritual, about God, without the Spirit of God in our hearts. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord That he may instruct him, But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. How did we get the mind of Christ? The New Testament tells us that it was written in our hearts and in our minds by God. And we can't run away from that. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I'd like to. But we can't run away. We can't lose that blessed assurance that we find in God's word here. We can only lose the enjoyment of it if we choose to. Uh, In John, what did, what did, what did, uh, John 17 and, and verse three? In John 17 and verse three, when we talking about this knowledge, this intuitive knowledge that the child of God has, we see it over here. In the 17th chapter of John, one of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible, along with John 3.16, this is right up there, ranking with John 3.16, uh, it says, Then these words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as will accept me. <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it, Brother Bruce? It says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. How many are going to be given eternal life? Exactly the same amount that God has given him. Lo, I come to do with thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. To establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He goes on to say in this third verse, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That is not saying that if you got, you have to come to a knowledge of knowing God and knowing Christ in order to get eternal life. He is telling you exactly the opposite. He says this is. This is life eternal. What is life eternal? Listen to what he says. That they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. How do we know Him? We know Him in Jesus Christ whom He has sent when we have eternal life abiding in us. This is life eternal. This is eternal life. That we know Him. If you know Him in your heart, it is evidence that you have eternal life abiding in you. And that's what that Scripture is saying right there. It's not the other way around. That you got to do something in order to get eternal life. It's just having the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done. In John John 6.45. 6.44. No man can come unto Me except the Father which has sent Me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, listen to this, and they shall all be taught of God every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the father cometh unto me they shall be taught of who taught of God who's doing the teaching here god's doing the teaching god's doing the teaching in the heart god's doing this teaching uh, in the new birth <clears throat> with that intuitive when we when we receive when we when the Spirit of God comes into our heart, we are taught of God. He tells us over here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 some more about this intuitive uh, knowledge. He says, uh, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You know, man always seeks to complicate things, and God uh God always simplifies things. God simplifies things. The Jews took Ten Commandments and they turned it into over eleven hundred laws. That's complicating things. You know, you if you're walking through the field on the Sabbath and, and you were hungry, you couldn't even eat any corn. You know, they broke the sabbath supposedly. That that's that was a that was a man-made law. That's not found in the 10 commandments. But they took those 10 commandments and they inflated them to over 1100 laws before the coming of Jesus Christ. God takes those 10 commandments and he dwindles those down to just two commandments. Love the Lord thy God He said, On these hang all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind and soul and body and spirit, and love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love God, you're not going to break the first four commandments. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to break the last six commandments. That's what, that, see, God simplifies it. Man just tries to complicate things. What we are to do is just love one another. We've been taught of God in our heart. Well, I just, I just don't have it in me. Yeah, you, you got it in you. If you're a child of God, you've got it in you. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, "But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another." And so we see that there is an intuitive knowledge. There is an intuitive uh, understanding. That we have, uh, in the new birth, but not, that is not where our knowledge, uh, should stop. Even though that's intuitive, we need to have acquired knowledge to grow on, to grow. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel, uh, gives us acquired knowledge of what is already in the intuitive knowledge. It's already in our heart, and we can build upon that through the gospel, through the, through reading and studying God's word, through, through all these things, we, we acquire more knowledge over in the fifth chapter of Hebrews. We say, uh, he says in the fifth chapter of Hebrews, for an example, in the tenth verse, uh, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say. Now these were, these, uh, are children of God that he's speaking to. But he goes on to say, the apostle says here, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Did they not have intuitive knowledge? Yes, they had intuitive knowledge. You know what they needed to do? They needed to acquire. They needed to acquire more knowledge through the preaching and reading of God's word. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He's just saying what the, what the apostle is saying here is you're not growing. You, you're not, a, you're not acquiring more knowledge. You're not acqui- you you got to, you have to grow. Uh, you know, you start off on milk, but he's saying by now, you should be on strong meat and you're still on milk. It was all to say, for everyone that, is, that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. But strong meat belong to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so we see that while, yes, that there is, and intuitive knowledge that we receive uh, through the Spirit of God, we also see and understand uh, that we have to acquire knowledge uh, through God's teaching and through God's word. But that acquired knowledge doesn't have anything to do with getting you closer to heaven. You're not going to get any closer than you already are, regardless of what kind of uh what kind of acquired knowledge you have. But the more acquired knowledge that we have. The more that we can praise and worship God, the more that our faith is strengthened in looking to the Lord in our life, the more and more that So it's very important, but it's not important for the sense of getting to heaven. Jesus Christ has already done that, and that's the message of the New Testament. That's the message of this new covenant that the Apostle Paul is bringing out. It's all better. And the results of that, he says, for I will be merciful to their, righteous, to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. No such language like that found in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was you do this or this is what's going to happen. Here is I'll be merciful to them. And their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Jesus Christ paid it all. In that He saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old, old testament, the old covenant. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. There's no more ceremonial or, you know, there's ceremonial or civil laws or, or the moral law is still good. Now there was a moral law and the moral law exists for us today.